You're listening to another This Is Your Podcast production. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 34 of the Parker Hoop Podcast, season two if you will. I'm Brian Dunstan, he's Keith Reedy, and yes, Puck and Hoop are fully involved. Training camps are going in both leagues. Puck is a little further ahead, so we're going to start there. And obviously, we're going to dive, deep dive, into both the Habs and the Leafs. Because this season, Keith, to me, is a point of demarcation for both organizations, but in very different ways. Obviously, the pressure is on for the Leafs. Marner and Matthews are heading into their eighth season with the Leafs. Tavares has been there for heading into his sixth season now. They have been a team to contend with for five seasons, and they haven't hit ultimate glory. It has to happen this year, or else we will see drastic changes. I'm not saying they're going to get rid of everybody in the core, but we're going to see some big changes. So the pressure, as always, is on. Now in Montreal, it's a little bit of a different animal. They've been building, they've got young players, they've got a great young coach, which we'll talk about later on, a really great young coach. But this is a team that needs to establish an identity about who they're going to be. Not who they are now, but who they're going to be, and that starts this year for them. So let's take a deep dive into the Habs and see what we can have coming up in this 23-24 season. Yeah, Brian, you know what, the, uh, the Canadians, as we know, They've got a ton of NHL quality defensemen. A bunch of guys in their early 20s. I think this is the year where they're going to have to start separating themselves a bit from the pack to, to see if we can ever get that really great you know, Canadians defense of old, if we can start mimicking that. I'm a big fan of cohorts. We've talked about this before. You've got a bunch of defensemen that are 21, 22. They've, they've, they're all, you can't play them all. You're going to have to have some veteran presence, and I think it's time for people to start separating themselves. The one guy who I think has separated himself, which is he's not the most, um, you know, he's not the most known of the defensive group. He's not the most uh, colorful of the defensive group. But one of the guys that I've been hearing from around camp and hearing from Montreal media that he's separating himself with his cerebral approach is Jordan Harris. And last night, when, you know, I'm saying last night, but their last preseason game against the Leafs. And do you notice what happened in that overtime? Who was the lone Canadians defenseman that was on the ice in that against uh, Marner and Matthews? And it's because they were looking for a guy who wasn't going to make mistakes and who was going to play. And I mean, he... He started off the play. I mean, the, the, the Habs took possession of the puck pretty much right away, and he was in control. He was a quarterback back there. And you, you think about it with the guys on the ice uh, for, you know, Caulfield, Suzuki, Marner, Matthews, Lilligren was on the ice, I believe. You know, you, you look at the guys on the ice, and Jordan Harris was trusted to be out there with the defenseman that the Habs suited up last night uh the other the other night so interesting to me i think he's a guy who is going to grow into a steady presence back there you know and i think that's what we got to look at he's not the biggest name we know we know the caden ghoulies you know your personal favorite favorite there arbor jack eye those kind of guys but but you know that said i think look for a step up from jordan harris you see you saw him play last year what do you think about him and his role uh, going forward? Well, I think he's like a lot of the young players on the Montreal Canadiens who've proven that they are legitimate NHL players in the one season or one and a half seasons they have under their belts. It's amazing to me to see the defensemen especially, the, the Jordan Harris's, the Caden Goulet's, who have taken such strides because everyone knows that playing defense in NHL, what do they say, you got to get 300 games underneath your belt before you're considered to be legit? Well, these guys are proven that theory just might be a little bit wrong. So that accelerated pace of their... Um, knowledge, their growth is only going to bode well for the Habs as they move forward and trying to become a significant team in the Eastern Conference, which we're going to dive into that a little bit too, because you talked about other teams around them in the division who are 
further ahead, further down the line, the Ottawa's, the Buffalo's. That's the blueprint that Montreal is trying to change or chase. And to me, they're in fact, I think they might be ahead of where those teams started because they've had so many young, good defensemen. And Keith, you just watched the Stanley Cup playoffs as I did this year, the year before. Defensemen are the baseline of every great Stanley Cup team. And if the if the Montreal Canadiens can build that strong defense with the Caden Goulets, with the Jordan Harrises, with the Arbor Jack guys, well, they'll be well on their way to becoming a factor in the Eastern Conference. You know, it's interesting, though. You mentioned Buffalo. Do the Canadians have, for me, the Canadians have very uh, good young defensemen. Gouley may become, Caden Goulet may become a great defenseman. But they do they, they don't have... Do they have the Rasmus Deleens? Do they have the Owen Powers? I know these guys were number one overall draft picks. You know, do they have those kind of defensemen to to leapfrog uh, the Buffaloes of the world? You know, do they have the you know Thomas Shabbat's um, you know uh, sort of defensemen that Ottawa has? Um, you know, so that's what I'm. I, I hey, I think that the Canadians' defense is going to be, you know, a six-man kind of unit, six or seven kind of guys who every night somebody is going to have to step up. You know, to me, they don't have the Jake Sandersons of the world, the Thomas Shabbats. Now, their defensemen weren't as highly drafted, so maybe you don't, you know, those four guys that I mentioned were all extremely high picks who have shone. You know, Montreal doesn't have that. Um, You know, and I just want to pivot I would say for defense, you know, like, you know, the Canadians, Mike Matheson, he, he really worries me, Brian. And just because every time I turn around and look, he's injured. I mean, he's a great skater. Uh, he's a highly effective offensive defenseman. Uh, when he's there, he's a good defensive defenseman. He uses his speed well. But, you know, he, every time I turn around and look, you know, this guy's injured, you know. He only played 48 games last year, was able to put up 34 points, and every time he came back, it seems like he just jumped right in there and was able to be a number one defenseman on this team. But even as we're going to start this season uh, right now, you know, he's he's been out of uh, training camp, he's been hurt, and he's just coming back now, you know? Uh, he's uh, He's been looked at as the acknowledged leader, of the, of the defensive core, but I'm looking and saying, like, if one of these young guys can really take a step forward, then we won't have to rely on him as much. Well, the thing is, with Mike Matheson, it's, it's, it's um, he's the only veteran out there, really, with those guys when it comes to it. So they need him now, but down the road, Keith, uh, I think he's, I hate to say it, he's a glorified placeholder. Because he's going to be surpassed by, hey, it's true, man. He's going to be surpassed by some of these great young guys they have or, that are coming up the pike, including the rookie they picked up this year um, from Europe, who's, by all accounts, he is in the class of the Owen Powers and the Rasmus Sandines of the world. So, you know, you talk about the Habs not having that guy, that guy's in the pipeline. Yeah, no, I mean... I. I, I will I won't disagree with you there, um, so that you know. But we're talking about this year, and I mean, I want to see. I, you know, I, I don't expect the, this Canadians team to be a playoff team. I don't know if you do. Uh, Not really. But it'd be a hell of a um, surprise, that's for sure. Yeah, it would be a hell of a surprise. I don't want to. Uh, how can I put it? Uh, I don't want to take too much more time on the defense. Because I think there's two guys that really have to take a, a step forward. One of those guys is Kirby Doc. And, and from what I've heard um, and seen, you know, from what I've seen and heard, this is a guy um, that is uh, really taking a, a leap forward. He was always, a, he's great. I, mean, I, I raved about him on the power play. I raved about him in transition last year, but he didn't look uh, at times, he didn't look as strong as he needed to be. And but from everything I've heard, he has definitely um, increased his strength. And to me, in the couple of games that I watched, it really showed. Um, you know, he was pretty much the best Canadian 
on the ice offensively in both games. And I know uh, you mentioned the Canadiens' first pick this year, David Reinbacher. He's been sent back to Europe. Um, you know, he's an 18-year-old, so he's an 18-year-old. I didn't expect him to make, um, you know, much of a, an impact this season, you know. So, you know, we'll see what happens with him. Uh, it's interesting. But he, he, got, he, did, he did get rave reviews throughout camp, though. So oh, he, he, played, he played great in camp. But it's interesting yeah, they're so, taking a different tack than they did with Slavkovsky last year, right? Well, like sending that, him back to Europe. That's a good point that you bring up because you look at Slavkovsky now and there's all this chatter around him. First pick in the draft two years ago. His development gets stymied by injury. He comes into camp this season. And some people are saying he's having a bit of a rough go of it. But he's 19. He's 19, Keith. Yeah, he's barely 19. I know. He he might still be one of the the young um, among the youngest players in the entire league. Yeah, so let's give this yeah. kid a chance. And here's the thing, you talk about Kirby Doc. That's a great point of comparison for Slavkowski to look at. Kirby Doc was a very high draft pick, not first overall, but very high I draft it was pick. Fourth fourth overall, right? Yeah, yes, the fourth or fifth, I can't remember. But it took him time to find his game. It took him time to work his way while playing in the league to becoming the player he is now, a guy who looks like he's on the verge of having a, I hate to say it, a breakout season for the Habs. That's the thing that you have to have with a guy like Slavkowski. One, he's a bigger player. Two, he's a skilled big player. Three, he's young. All of that takes time to come together to be the wonderful package that everyone expects the number one overall pick to be. So you know what? Patience. Does that mean you send them down to the farm and give them time to play on the top line and the first power play and in all conditions? Or do you leave them with the team? Because your team isn't really... Look, if Montreal finds himself in a playoff position, you and I will be among the most surprised out there, (laughs) along with about 150,000 other fans. But the fact of the matter is, I think the Montreal Canadiens have a good handle on who they are, and they know that they're still a team in development. Well, I think the best place for an NHL player to develop is in the NHL. So leave Slavkowski where he is and let him become the player he's going to be. Because the guy we saw in the World Championships in the Olympics is legit. That has not gone away. He just needs to find his game in the NHL. Give the kid time. Yeah, and he doesn't shy away from, it's not the physical aspect. I mean, he doesn't no. shy away from that at all, you know, despite, you know, I don't want to be too stereotypical, but, but despite playing in Finland prior to this, right? I mean, he doesn't <laughs> shy away, from, which is a pretty tough league. Well, what are you saying, Finns aren't tough? No, it's a pretty tough, tough? No, no, it's a pretty tough league for as European okay. leagues go. But uh, Slavkovsky, you know, um, last year he averaged 11 minutes a game when he was in the lineup. I believe he played 39 games before getting uh, hurt and shut down. Um, So he averaged 11 minutes a game. Some people would say it's better for him to go to Laval and play, you know, 19 minutes, 20 minutes a a game. Um, I, I agree with you. I think he should play in the NHL because one of the reasons I think you send young guys down is because they're physically overmatched. And I don't believe he is physically overmatched, especially in today's NHL. Uh, he played, no. He's played very well um, with Kirby Doc, uh, you know, as a winger for Cor- Kirby Doc in this preseason. So, you know, like maybe, you know, he plays with Doc and we know Doc is a great setup man. Slavkovsky is a great, well, let's say he's a good trigger man right now could be a great trigger man and so you know hey let him play with uh with uh doc i just don't know like doc looks like he's going to be playing 17 or 18 minutes a night and i don't know if you can give slavkovsky that much ice at this point in the game in his development yeah that's the thing see we we talked about this a little earlier about the you know off the air about winning What, what what is winning really in the nhl And to me, winning is a stage-by-stage thing. And look at Montreal. What stage are they in? Are they really competing for a Stanley Cup this year? Do they think they can compete for a Stanley Cup? You're not going to come out and say that in public. 
But behind closed doors, when you're having your organizational meetings, you're talking about where is our team right now? Our team is a team in development. We are taking steps to become a team that will compete for a Stanley Cup. So what kind of steps do you take in that process? And part of that is developing a player like Slavkovsky. And if that means you've got to bite the bullet and play this kid 15 to 17 minutes, give him top power, expose him to the legitimate rigors of the NHL in this season to see if he can sink or swim, you know, find out. This is you actually have yeah. the leeway to do that because the expectations aren't there anymore for your organization at this stage. So why why not do that? And as I said earlier, the best place to learn how to play in the NHL is in the NHL. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't disagree with you. I look at the last few, you know, like maybe the last five, six, seven, you know, go back maybe the last since Niall Yakupov, most of the number one overall picks um i think the the only one who didn't come right into the league was owen power went back to uh michigan for a year but Mm -hmm. even when owen power rookie year last year he was he was a big time defenseman you know he's a massive guy but he was a he's a big time defenseman last year and he proved it he's a number one defenseman you know so and sabers have two they've got rasmus dalin another number one defenseman but I think if you look back at the last seven or eight um, number one overall picks, Slavkovsky, um, rightly or wrongly, he's compared to that. And, I mean, if Connor Bedard comes in, who's a small guy, uh, but a, supposedly a very strong player, if he comes in and dominates, I mean... Don't even you know go there. I mean? Don't, don't no, even no, go no. there. I know, I know, no, yeah. no, but I'm just saying, but you look at that list going back to Yakupov, and then you yeah. kind of go, well, Slavkovsky, we spent the number one overall pick on him. He should be X. You know what I mean? He should. Yeah. Unfortunately, the, the patience in, in today's NHL, the, the league's a lot younger than it used to be. Veterans get kicked out of there, and there's a lot of young guys. So Slavkovsky is, you know, I'm not, I will never use the word, uh, I won't even say it, <laughs> but... Um, you know what I mean? He's, I he not. needs to show something this year that he's, he's improved. You know, nobody's thinking, nobody's expecting a 20-goal season from Slavkovsky, but experts are saying Bedard will score 35 this season. You know, Yeah, so, but you know, for, Keith, stop bringing up that name in, with regards to anybody else. Because <laughs> you know what? He is not anybody else. Connor Bedard is in a whole separate category unto himself that very few players in the last... 50 years have inhabited so he's 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 a unicorn let's leave it at that we're not going to compare anybody to Bedard just yet there's a reason why he's considered a generational player Slavkovsky is a first overall pick absolutely generational player absolutely not Bedard is you can't compare the two anyway let's move on to uh, a topic I think is really to me, the most exciting thing about the, uh, the Montreal Canadiens, and that's the fact that Martin St. Louis is back behind the bench. I tell you, Keith, I talked about him a lot last year because I just, you know, I marvel at the job he does. I marvel at the way he communicates with his players. I think it's amazing the, the approach he's brought to coaching in the NHL and how just real he is, man. He's just... He's the kind of guy that you, how could you not want to play for him? You know, he makes you want to play. He teaches you how to play. And then he shows you how to play. He's just, he's the kind of coach that the NHL needs right now. And Montreal is damn lucky to have him. I know you're a big fan of, uh, of Martin Saint-Louis. But listen, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, I'm, but I, I'm not a fan of his. But at some point you are going to have to start getting results. And I know with today's young player, I mean, you've got to have a youngish, it seems like you've got to have a youngish coach who understands them. I don't believe in having coaches that are two generations older than the players they're coaching. Maybe even some guys, maybe even three, right? Um, So, I mean, Martin Saint-Louis seems like he's in the perfect position for himself. Um, he's widely respected. Uh, the Montreal media 
loves him. And, you know, even in 2023, uh, you know, that media can turn on you and cause coaches, as we know, cause coaches to get fired. So he is in a great position for himself. He's got the young team that they can learn from him. And he has the patience of the media and the organization. And but, you know, you know, right now. Uh, everything looks rosy despite their record, but you're correct. I mean, it's got to start pointing north, right? I mean, you know, they've got to start winning some games. Yeah, but as we said, I think that this season they're going to establish the direction they're going in, but, you know, how they get there is going to be fits and starts because they are a young team. They are a team that still probably doesn't have the super high-end talent that you need to be in the upper echelon of the league, so they're going to have some struggles. But that's part of becoming that team that can be a contender every year. So they're, I think that they've got this year, next year, a little more pressure. Then we'll see. So last, last season they improved year over year yeah. by 13 points, yeah. right? They, they improved. They had 68 points. What do, you, what do you look The year before they had 55. What do you think is in, in points, in actual tangible like points, not uh, this guy's looking good, that guy's not looking good. What what would be a good year point-wise, you think, for the Montreal Canadiens this season? 80. 80, 80 points? So I think almost 80. A... Yeah, I think that 80 points. I think they're going to be competitive. I think they're going to lose a lot of games, but I think they're going to be competitive. So I think in 80, plus or minus 3 or 4, they're going to be in that. If they have a really good year, they're going to be over 80. If they have you know just a so-so year, they're going to be 80 or below. But I think 80 is the mark that they're looking at. And I'll tell you why I chose 80. Because, one, they are definitely going to improve over last year. Because the kids are better. The kids have got more NHL strength now. They've been exposed to the league. They've played together for a year. There's a natural progression there for any team. Especially when you have talented players. And the, the Montreal Canadiens do have talented players. So there's going to be improvement. But this is not a league of standstill teams. They are playing in a division that is just racked with great teams. So it's going to be tough. But they're going to come out some nights and beat some of those teams. They're going to go on a little run here and there. And they're also going to slide into a pit here and there. Because they're a young team trying to get someplace. So that's why I chose 80 points. I think that would be a great year for them, and I think it's attainable. Yeah, the, you know what? The Canadians have a stretch of games starting October 28th against, uh, at, versus Winnipeg at home, and then they play Vegas, Arizona, St. Louis. I think that's going to be a real telltale sign for this team because those are some, you know, the classic big, heavy teams. And how the Canadians play... Uh, you know, strike Arizona from there, but Winnipeg, Vegas, and, and St. Louis, mm. how the Canadians play against those three teams. And it's pretty early in the season. I mean, that's like 12, you know, like, what is that? Like, that's 9 to 13 games in. I think that is going to tell a lot about how, uh, their improvement and their outlook for this year. Because, uh, you know, the Canadians, you know, they've got some size. It's young size. Yeah, the they defense do. is a bigger defense. But, you know, especially that Vegas team, that is going to be just before Halloween, Brian. <laughs> That'll be a 30th. game to watch. <laughs> That'll be a game to watch. All right. Okay, that's our look at the Habs. Let's uh, switch gears now and come back to Toronto where we dive in to the Toronto Police. And let's start that now. Okay, Keith, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, said it in the preamble at the beginning. This is bit, uh, probably, finally, the make-or-break year for Toronto with this core. I know they've made some changes around the periphery, and not so peripheral because you've got some top six new guys in there in Bertuzzi and Domi. But at the heart of this team are the same five guys. Morgan Riley, John Tavares, William Nylander, Mitch Marner, and Austin Matthews. That is the engine that drives this team. And they have not driven them where they want to get to. They've been on the road and gotten derailed every year for the last five seasons. Now, 
Marner and Matthews are heading to their eighth. Tavares is heading into their his sixth. This has got to be the year for them, Keith. I, I, there's no other question that needs to be answered other than this. Can the Leafs win the Stanley Cup this year? Where do you stand on that? You know what? I, I'm Every year I think that the Leafs look, uh, in the last five years, they've looked to be a contender. Um, I don't see the Leafs winning the Stanley Cup ultimately, but I do see them as a potential, potentially, I don't want to cop out, I see them getting out of the Eastern Conference. I do see that. I mean, the strength that they're going to show down the middle of the ice, that's impressive. I don't think there are many people, or sorry, many teams that can match up with centers like Matthews, Tavares, and now William Nylander in the center role. You know, Mm -hmm. like that is, Tavares brings the smarts and the grit. Matthews just the overall play offensively and defensively. And Nylander, you know, he's got that speed. He can can play the center role, you know. So I think those guys have one to three centers. I'm not even including... You know the the speed that they added with a with like a Max Domi, who's a very fast player. Yeah. Um, Tyler Bertuzzi. Um, you know their top three lines to me, they just look impressive, very impressive. So I mean, I can see this team getting out of the East. I mean, they they need to. You know, everybody needs to be lucky with uh, goaltending and lack of injuries. Um, you know, but from what I see, their goaltending is. I say, uh, I say it's above average to the league. So above average goaltending, uh, you know, solid defense and, you know, some real stars, legitimate stars uh, on the top, I say, three lines. I mean, I think that's a formula for the Leafs to, you know, to get to the conference finals at the very least. And I think they can get to the Stanley Cup finals. I mean, I think, you know what? I, I, they took a step last year. They they got that first round monkey off their back. Uh, you know, that didn't end the way they wanted. But I think it it uh, goes in steps. And I I think if the Leafs aren't in the conference finals, then you're gonna have to make changes. I don't think they can win two rounds. Mm-hmm. I think if they're not in the conference finals, changes are gonna have to be made and big changes, Brian. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, well, some changes were made in the offseason this year. You know, Ryan Reeves, we talked about uh, Domi, uh, Tyler Bertuzzi. Um, looks like there's a couple of players that might surprise in camp, and uh, this Noah Gregor, another speed demon, might make yeah. the team. So there's going to be some new bodies on the team that we uh, didn't see last year, specifically as forwards, but... If you look at the defense on this team, people are so up in arms about the defense. It's not big. It's fairly mobile. Um, John Klingberg has been added. He's an offensive wizard, or he used to be an offensive wizard. Now he's kind of a defensive liability with some you know, offensive ability. We'll see if we can turn that around or not. But everyone's questioning whether this team has enough on the defensive end to play at the highest level this season. Yeah, you know what? I, you, what happened, remember during the playoffs, what happened with Mark Giordano? How much do, do you think he has left? I mean, That's you an know, interesting he was very question. consistent last year. Yeah. Like we saw what happened with him in the playoffs, right? His role was really reduced. Now, was that a function um, of him you know, running? Uh, did you think he ran out of gas or he just couldn't play at that level? You know what? I, I, think, he, I think he ran out of gas. That's what I, I think, think too. as a 39 year old. Um, but, you know, that's what I'm saying. I mean, you're going to have to. There, remember, there were games where this guy was playing 22 minutes. And of he, ice was, and he wasn't the playing 22 easy. He was playing 20 physical, hard, blocking, sh- blocking shots. That's a redundant thing when you say Mark Giordano, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But he played well and hard. So maybe, maybe they rode him too hard and his legs just gave out because he was not. He wasn't the same player in the playoffs, that was for sure. So no, that's what I'm talking about, though. Do they have enough defensive depth to keep everybody healthy and fresh for a deep playoff run? Yeah, I mean, you know, Jake McCabe, to me, looks good. Uh, better hockey minds than mine 
you know, were impressed with him once he came out of the Leafs last year. Yeah, received some Um, criticism, but overall I thought he acquitted himself quite well. Firmly in the middle of his prime right now, great skater. But I personally think, Brian, I, I think John Klingberg is going to have a rebounding year. And you know what? The Leafs paid this guy over four over four million. I think they see that. Yeah, I mean, I it's one year. <laughs> so you can cut bait and run, or you can dangle him at the trade deadline. But I, over four million <laughs> tells me you think that this guy has plenty left in the tank. You know, maybe, you know, you never know with hockey players. Maybe he was, you know, n- nagging injuries got him the last couple of years. I'm not sure, but he's only 30, and for an NHL defenseman, you know, the wheels should not fall off at 29 years old, right? He's going into the season as a 30-year-old. Well, yeah, and and he's got serious wheels, so, you you know, you don't lose your ability to skate no. uh, that overnight when you're that kind and of And your ability to like move the puck, Brian. Um, yeah, I think 100%, that mind hasn't gone anywhere, so what they have to unlock with him is his play in his own end. And if they've put him with the right partner, that becomes less of a factor because he's not the one who's controlling things back there. He's the guy who's getting the puck out, which is what you want. So you put him with one of your better defenders, you know, and then maybe you'll have some success. So, yeah, I think that's one of the big questions for this team if they're going to be, you know, a serious Stanley Cup contender is their defense and always with the Leafs, always with the Leafs, it's the same thing, goaltending. Now, Ilya Samsonov put together a pretty decent year. Look, scratch that. He put together a damn yeah. good year last year. He was pretty solid in the playoffs, but he got hurt. He got hurt. So now people are questioning, can he play the 50 to 60 games? And who's the backup? Joseph Wall. Not a long legacy of games in the NHL. Acquitted himself nicely in the games he played last season and in the playoffs. But once again, there are more questions and answers when it comes to two of the primaries on the ice for the Maple Leafs. Defense and goaltending. It's like, as good as this, as great as this team has been, they are always going to have questions about certain things that keep people from really believing they can win a Stanley Cup. Hey, you know what, though? Samsonov is definitely, he definitely trended in the right direction last yeah. season. Every, by every goaltending metric, mm-hmm. he had his best season ever. You know, 919 save percentage, Brian. That's nothing to sneeze at. You know, that great home record that he had, right? Yeah. I mean, nothing to sneeze at. Um, hey, look, I mean, Joseph Wall came in. You know, and, you know, for a while there, he didn't lose, right? He had that, that uh, what was he, 6-1? and one. I'm talking save percentage. Forget it. 932 save percentage? Numbers look I great. Mean, and for, forget the numbers, Brian. There were times where this guy, in his limited starts, looked like a number one NHL goaltender. You know, he, he really did. I mm-hmm. mean, Pat, forget the numbers. Look at the eye test. You know, like this guy. 932 save percentage in seven games that he started. And a lot and spectacular goaltending at points. You know what you're making me think now, Keith? See, this is like this is this is the Leaf fan in me coming out. So <laughs> why can't we have one of those stories where a goalie comes out of relatively nowhere and just stands on his head for our team? Why can't Joseph Wall be that guy? Come in, shut the door on everybody. Runs off like a twenty and two record or some craziness like that, and we waltz away with the you know the hundred and twenty point season because we've got two goaltenders who are just awesome. Why can't that? Why can't that happen to the Toronto Maple Leafs once? It happens to other teams. Why can't that happen to us? Joseph Wall did look like a pretty darn good goaltender at times last season. He did look like a number one goalie. So let's see if he can do that over and over because he's going to get the opportunity. Because as we said, Samsonov is not going to play at 60 games. So, hell, it would just be nice, don't you think? Remember the position this guy was he was put into in the playoffs when Samsonov got run? Yeah. And, yeah. and Wall had to come in. I mean, it could have been a disaster, you know? But he came in, he lost that first game 
in overtime, you know, I must add. Then he beat Florida 2-1 to one in Florida. But then, you know, game six, he lost that in overtime as well. This guy, like, made 40 saves in game six, man. Like, I don't think he was overmatched. I don't think the situation and stage were too big for him at all, Brian. Uh, you know, I look, I think this guy might be pushing. Can you count on him for 30 games? I think you can. I think you definitely can, If especially, you know, if they space them out, right? Especially if they're, you know, you play them, you know, you kind of go, I guess, what, five games for Samsonov? Uh you know, I keep calling him Samsonov and Samsonov, but hey, uh, five games for him, and you know, maybe two, maybe two for Wall. You know, I think you can space it up. This, but here, I was going to say to gain his confidence. This guy does not lack for confidence, and you have to remember, he's a 25-year-old. It's not like he's a 21-year-old goaltender. Yeah, you know, he's a 25-year-old goaltender. I mean, I think this. He, I think he understands this is his opportunity. It really is. You know, well, I, I don't think the Leafs are looking at him to steal the number one job, but this is his opportunity to be legitimate NHL dip, uh, goaltender. Well, you know what? what? Why why not try and steal the number one job? If he does that, then that says to me that this team is on its way to being a serious Stanley Cup. I should stop saying that because they really are a serious Stanley Cup contender, regardless of the foibles on defense and in the net. But if we want to look at them as a team that can win the cup, having that great goaltender would go a long way in solidifying that belief. And isn't that what it boils down to, Keith, is whether we have the belief in our teams that they can win championships. And to tell you the truth, and I keep going back to the, the years that, 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 that Tavares has been with the team, because that's when they really became a team that you thought of as a possible Stanley Cup contender. Um, in the five years, that the complete years that they've had this team together with that core, I thought they were good, maybe even great. I didn't really think they could win the Stanley Cup. And I'm not sure about it even this year because I haven't seen them play in the regular season. And I won't even say anything about them winning the Stanley Cup until probably game 20, maybe even game 40. Because by then, you'll know what type of team they are. And to me, the type of team the Leafs have to be, where they are in their stage of development as a team, they have to come out and exert dominance every night every game i'm not saying you're going to win every game i'm not saying you're going to play your best every game but you have to play with a will that defies the other team regardless if you're playing your best or not that's how you become a stanley cup champion you're able to exert you because every team has great players every team is this is the nhl for crying out loud they even the bad teams are good you know, even the bad teams can beat you on any given night. So come out and exert your will. Show your dominance. Show that, yes, we want to prove to everybody out there that we are the best damn team in hockey. Now, you may not win every game, but you're certainly going to win a lot of games if you do that. And that's what I want to see from the Leafs. And until I see that, Keith, I'm not going to believe that they can win a cup. I, you know when I saw it? I saw it a, few, a couple of seasons ago, not even last season. I think it was two seasons ago. They had a stretch of games after Christmas where they were just dominant. I think they went like 20 and 4 at one point or something, something crazy like that. They were just playing such good hockey, and I thought, maybe, maybe, but then they came back to the pack a little bit. That's what they have to do. They can't slide back. They can have like, you know, a game off here and there. But the consistency of dominance is what we need to see from a great team if you're going to be a Stanley Cup champion. And when I see that, yeah. then I'll believe. You know, they did have a... I, I thought they had very a very consistent dominating regular season actually last year. I mean, if it wasn't for Boston, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. They had a fantastic regular season. Yeah. Um, but from out of these guys, Tyler Bertuzzi, Max Domi, Ryan Reeves, and I'm going to include Matthew Nyes in there. Who do you think is going to have the most impact 
on this team for winning uh, during the upcoming season? That's easy. Um, I, I Look, as much as I think Domi's going to be a factor uh, playing in the top six and Bertuzzi's going to be putting up great numbers playing with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, Matthew Nyes gives them some depth. Matthew Nyes gives them another puck hound. Matthew Nyes gives them another big, skilled, fast player. All of a sudden, he looks faster. How did that happen in the space of a few months, huh? Tells you the kid works. I think he's going to be a difference maker in, in just how deep this team is. And the fact that William Nylander has gone to the center position allows that depth to be utilized even deeper in the lineup. So, yeah, I think Matthew Nyes is going to be the, an important factor for this team this season. I hate to put pressure on a guy who's played, what, seven, eight regular season games, if that? So, yeah, but I think he's the one, Keith. Why not? Um, yeah, you know what? I, I, I mean, I think he played, what, he played three games in the regular season, and four in the playoffs. So, Sorry, yeah. seven in the playoffs. Yeah, seven so it was ten. Yeah. But here's the thing. Um, you know, I, again, as you said, he's 20 when the season starts. Um, you know, he's turning, he'll be turning 21 in a couple of weeks. But I don't know if you, you know, you can put that type of responsibility on the shoulders. And they're not. I mean, he's going to play, he's, he's playing with John Tavares, I think, for that reason. Um, specifically, right, that, you know, Tavares will cover and, uh, you know, hopefully cover any defensive mistakes Nyes makes just from overzealousness. To answer your question, I think he looks quicker because I think it was really, I think it's incredibly tough for a guy to come into the lineup with three or four games left in the NHL season and jump from college hockey to pretty much playoff-level <laughs> NHL hockey. Yeah. I, I think that was... I, I'm certain... You know what? It probably was better for him coming into this season because he was probably like, holy crap, that level was so high. I've got to work harder during this offseason than I've ever worked before. I think that's pretty much shows you, one, he wants to stick in the league. Two, he's a smart guy. Mm. Probably nobody had to tell him how much your, your level had to come up. But you know what? I, I talked to a couple of guys. I'm not saying this guy's going to make the most difference, but I talked to a couple of guys, and you mentioned it earlier, with Ryan Reeves on the ice. I talked to a couple of guys who played hockey, and they were saying everybody skates a little more freely when Ryan Reeves is on your team. <laughs> and everybody is a little tighter on the opposition team, the opposing team. Is a little tighter. And you know what? Listen, you know, we saw various times last year, guys, you know, wrestling, obviously, knives being wrestled to the ground and out. Matthews getting, you know, pushed in the face and face, face washed. Uh, you know, we saw a couple of times he actually fought back. Yeah. But, you know, maybe you don't even face wash Austin Matthews. When, you know, the next time, uh, you know, you're on the road against the Leafs and the next time you're on the ice, Reeves jumps over the boards as your matchup. Maybe you don't okay. do that to Austin Matthews. I don't know. But, you know, I, I think he's going to make a big amp impact. I don't know if it's going to be as big as Nyes. I expect Nyes to, I mean, I expect him to get 45 to 50 points, Brian. I mean, mm. you know, so. All right. All right. I, but, I wasn't uh, going to go. Know? Yeah. I wasn't going to go there, but you brought it up. I am so glad Ryan Reeves is on this team and for one reason and for one team and maybe just for one game. What, what is it? They play uh, Florida the, game four of the season, you said? Yep. Okay, game four. What Sam Bennett, Sam Bennett, right? What Sam yep. Bennett did to Matthew Nyes last season and also the response or lack thereof from the Leafs stuck in my craw all summer long. And to my way of thinking, Ryan Reeves is going to be a factor in that game because he is going to find Sam Bennett and remind him that that shit, pardon my language, will not fly anymore when Toronto plays Florida. And the reason why I think that's going to be the case 
Do you remember what Radko Gudis did when they won the with that playoff winning goal, uh, series winning goal? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Screamed in Joseph Wall's face. Yep. Ryan Reeves said that would never happen again. So he knows what happened in that series. And that's only one thing. I'm sure he knows about the other things that happened, i.e. Sam Bennett ragdolling Matthew Nyes like that. So I really think that there's going to be some payback or some, not necessarily payback, but some advanced warning sent by Ryan Reeves when Florida plays Toronto. You guys think you can push us around? That is over and done with. So, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to seeing Ryan Reeves play with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And not necessarily fight, but just the impact his presence will have and to see what difference that makes. Because I fully believe, Keaton, I know you do, that is a tangible thing in the world of hockey. Physical oh, yeah. dominance. I'll say over these last seven seasons with three different teams, Ryan, uh, uh, Ryan Reeves, he's averaged 10 minutes a night of ice time. Mm. And I think that <laughs> that might be the most impactful 10 minutes on certain nights that the, uh, the Leafs have. I was actually shocked, Brian, to, to see that, you know, this, this, these aren't fantastic numbers, but... You know, this guy's been able to put up nine goals in a season, twenty like 20 points, eight goals, 15 points. I, I was actually surprised that he scores that much, you know? like So, hey, if he could play 10 minutes a night, score seven or eight goals, and, you know, clear a lot of space for, you know, always, you know. Hey, one of the things that bothered me about your lease last year was them trying to get Mitch Marner to 100 points. Maybe with Ryan Reeves on the ice, you know, people wouldn't be all over him in those last few games. And, you why, know, did, why did and you have a problem with that? I had a problem with that because I, I don't like it when things are outside of the game. Throwing How? the guy on the ice, dog-tired. You know, with uh, come on, he was out. He was out in some of those in that last game, especially with two-minute shifts on the ice. You know, dude. If you so, gotta, I don't look, know. Let me tell you something. If you get the chance to hit a milestone, an important milestone like that, I'm I'm happy that my team gives me every opportunity to get that. I'll, I'm gonna respect them for giving me that opportunity. I'm gonna try even harder next year to get it because of that. So I, I didn't have an issue with that. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't love it. I thought it was. Okay. Like, and well, ultimately, you know, even worse, a, he didn't even get it. I know, and you're just a leaf <laughs> hater, so I understand. All right, that is our look at the Leafs. Brief though it is. Hey, but we're gonna be going deep for this whole season, so there'll be lots of Leafs and Habs talk to come throughout this uh, podcast season. All right, up next, the Toronto Raptors. All right, let's dive into the Toronto Raptors. Uh, a lot of changes in the offseason. Fred Van Vliet gone, Nick Nurse gone, uh, Darko Ryakovich in, a number of players coming in from left, right, and center. But at the heart of this thing, Keith, it's year three for Scotty Barnes. And to me, that's where it begins and ends. Year three, it's time to make a statement as to who you are. Yeah, I mean, some people were disappointed with Scotty last year. I mean, he admittedly had his, you know, ups and, and, and his downs. Um, but yeah, I mean, year three, he's 22. Um, I can see him, you know, taking that leap forward. I think, you know, some people were talking about, and he was talking about physically, um, you know, he wasn't ready to play in the way he wanted to play. But I also think, though, when you come into year two, why do people have a sophomore slump? I hmm. think because expectations all of a sudden go up. Year one, you do stuff. Everybody's happy. Everybody overlooks your flaws, you know? But when you're two, when you're expected to take that leap, um, you know, you're, you're, not a, you're a target. I mean, you know, all of a sudden he heard criticism for the first time. He heard no criticism during his rookie season. Um, you know, understandably so. He was the rookie of the year. But now when you have responsibility and you don't meet those responsibilities and you get criticized, how do you handle it? And I mean, this year, again, they, they partially handed him the keys last year. But this year, 
they are handing him the keys, and let's see how he drives the Raptors bus. Hey, I like that, eh? <laughs> let's see what he does. <laughs> yeah. Let's see what he does. He has to be better last year for the Raptors to even make the play-in, in my estimation, this year. Yeah, he's got to show improvement, and also he's got to show separation from who he was last year, more importantly, I think. Um, the type of player that you want to be is always indicated by the results you come with on the court. If you get the results, if you get the assists that you're supposed to get, if you get the points you're supposed to get, you get the rebounds you're supposed to get, that tells you the type of player you are. You're an all-around player. That's who Scotty Barnes wants to be. He wants to be an all-around defensive player. Well, the numbers will indicate that. So we're going to find out pretty darn quick just exactly what player Scotty Barnes is going to be. Because at the end of the day, Keith, the numbers don't lie. They show you exactly who you are in this league. So we're going to find out just who Scotty Barnes is. And for my money, I'd like to think that this kid knows and is prepared to make a difference this season because he knows he has to. And he seems like the type of person who is diligent about his work, despite what all these, you know, you hear some talk around flying around out there that he's not a gym rat, he's not this, he's not that. Yet there's always tons of footage of him putting work in, in the summer. There's always tons of footage of him, you know, out there in the California, in the, in the Heinz uh, runs that the Raptors love to go to. Rico Hines all, runs. So if this yeah. guy, yeah. yeah, Rico Hines. So if this guy's not a gym rat, I don't know what people are seeing. And to me, hard work pays off. And this kid's a worker. If you look at him, when you see him, physically, he looks like he's matured. He was always a pretty physical specimen. He looks even more so now, Keith. So that doesn't happen without actually doing the work. So all those people who are out there talking about this guy's not doing the work and not in the gym, I don't think you look like Scotty Barnes unless you're actually putting in the work. So we can put that rumor to bed right now. Now, you talk about him getting the keys to the Raptors bus. That's going to be very interesting to see how that works out because having the ball in your hands when you have a Pascal Siakam on your team is going to be an interesting scenario because obviously Pascal likes to have the ball. What kind of offense are they going to run? And this is where we have to look at Darko Rakovic. I'm very interested to see what he's going to bring to the table because everything you read about this guy is he's a forward-thinking, innovative, exciting, offensive scheme type guy. So clearly the Raptors are going to play a different brand of basketball. Because they got a new coach, new offensive scheme, and the ball's going to be in Scotty's hands a lot more. All those things together mean they're going to be a different kind of team. I think that's going to be very interesting and exciting. And if that's what we're going to see from the Raptors, I'm all in on this season. I don't care if they win 30 games or 50 games. What I want to see is a different brand of basketball than we saw last season. Because last season, they were only half in. They weren't all the way in. They were only half in. And that showed in their play. All I want to see from this team is that they're fully invested. And if they are, hey, I can take the losses. I'd rather have wins, but I can take the losses. Just give me investment. Just give me heart. Just give me desire. Give me Raptors basketball. That is going to be something I can get behind. That's what I want to see from this year. And that's my expectation, to tell you the truth. Yeah. You know, Brian, what was the biggest weakness on this team last year? To me, shooting. Now, was that weakness addressed? I know you got Grady Dick well, in the draft. And yeah. he was supposedly the best shooter in the, in the NCAA. I mean, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But we both don't expect him to come in and make that much of a difference, especially in the early going. So my thought is, was the shooting addressed? Are we, gonna re are we relying on Barnes and Siakam to get better as outside shooters? Because they brought in Dennis Schroeder, who had that great run with Germany in the World Cup of Basketball. Uh, I believe MVP. it was the MVP, right? MVP? Yeah, he was the MVP. So, but Dennis Schroeder has never been a great outside shooter. 
So no, for but you me, know, but you know who is a great outside shooter? You know who is? Who's Otto that? Porter Jr. He is, but for me, that's a downgrade, though. Dennis Schroeder from Fred Van Vliet in the in the shooting department. Oh yeah. So I'm just yeah. wondering. I'm just wondering. Yeah, I mean, Otto Porter Jr. I mean, how how many minutes is he going to get? I, I don't know. But for me, I still don't see the shooting on this team. I mean, unless somehow Siakam has gone from a 30% three-point shooter to a, you know what, I won't even go that to a 38% shooter. Scotty Barnes, has he improved to a 38% shooter? Okay, I mean, well, let's, well, let's, let's, gonna let's address this. Let's address this uh, piece by piece then, okay? Outside shooting okay. on the Raptors is going to be an issue until we see them make shots. So that means you need to see improvement from Scotty Barnes. From all accounts, he's been working on his oh, J. Yeah. It's ch- it's changed. It's a much smoother release. It's a much one more f- one fluid motion release. So we'll have to wait and see. Pascal Siakam. One of the things that's been missing in his game, or was missing a lot in his game, was the pull-up three. If you go back to two, even three seasons ago, this guy was a killer with the pull-up three. And he was taking them four or five times a game. Last couple of years, it's been like two or one a game he's taken. If he can get back to that belief in that shot, that to me is a game changer. Not just for him, but for the entire team. If he can start hitting those pull-up threes, like he, or even taking those pull-up threes, well, that says it all right there. So in terms of outside shooting, who else on the team is going to be an outside shooter who has to hit their shots? Jalen McDaniels, the guy they picked up from Philly. Uh, we already talked about yeah. Otto Porter Jr. Garrett Temple's a shooter. But, you know, the whole thing... And Chris Boucher, for crying out loud. You know, talk about having needing a bounce-back season. Boosh, come on, man. You need to show up. Yeah, he got, but he got you the money. And, and, then, and uh, that's the big question. Yeah. Do they have yeah. enough outside shooting to hang in this league? Well, I mean, Scotty Barnes shot 28%, Brian. 28.1% last year. Pascal Siakam shot 32.4% from three. Mm-hmm. Like More so, forget Pascal, because I, I believe at 29 going on to 30, I, I, for, I believe Pascal is what he is now. But can you see realistically Scotty Barnes improving from a 28% three-point shooter to even a 35% three-point shooter? Of course. I mean, that's Wh- a, Why not? That's a... That's a big jump. That's a big that's, jump. That's one make more per game. Literally, that's one make more per game. So, yeah, of yeah. course you can. And to me, if you're going to be a, a threat in the pick and roll, if you're going to be the guy that got the ball in your hands a lot, you're going to have to hit those threes. So I think he knows that, and I hope, to God, he's been working on it. I mean, why wouldn't he? He knows what he needs to work on. So, yeah. I mean, look, there has to be improvement from within this with this team in terms of their shooting because, realistically, I can't see them going out and getting a designated shooter. That's just not going to happen. But we'll have to wait and see how that turns out because, as it stands right now, you look at this roster and you're thinking, well... I hope Grady Dick gets strong and learns how to play defense real soon because we got no shooters on this team. But yeah, outside shooting is going to be an issue until it's not Keith. So that's that's that story. Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, and, you know, and you mentioned Otto Porter Jr. I mean, you know what, Brian? He's He has had some seasons where he's been a high three-point percentage shooter to a actually – Geez, to like a mid forty percent three point well, shooter. He's a good shooter. But the he's, issue he's, with him, he his thing has always been shooting. The other thing with him, oh yeah. The other thing with Otto though is he's always been injured. It's so, health. Yeah, it's health, right? When That's why I'm saying, can we? Yeah, can count when, on he, him? when he's healthy, as we saw with Golden State two seasons ago, he is a factor because he's pretty. Oh, he dense. is a factor. Yeah, he's a very very strong defender, and he will hit. Every open shot he gets. Well, yeah, that's the thing is he does hit big shots. Yeah, you know there are guys who hit shots in, in streaks when the game isn't on the line, but he's capable 
of hitting a big shot. I think we also need to see, although his numbers are not bad from three, it just felt, you know, this isn't a numbers thing, it just felt like Gary Trent Jr. was not himself last season. Not quite, you know, bang. To me, Gary Trent Jr. encapsulates the entirety of the Raptors season. He always felt like there was something not quite right with him, and there was something not quite right with the team the whole year. He'd get going a little bit, and then something would happen, or something would just not, he'd kind of disappear. Kind of like the team. They'd get going a little bit, and then they would, you know, I don't know, blow a 20-point lead in the second half. You know, just it seemed like all year long, Gary Trent Jr. never got out of his own way. And yeah, it's a good thing you brought him up, Keith, because I think he's an important factor. And he's got a lot of cards on the table this year because he's heading into a contract season. He's going to be a free agent in the year. So it behooves you. You know, the Raptors have a lot of players playing for their next contract this season. That can be a good thing. Yeah, uh, I look at the, the way the roster looks. I think that Gary Trent Jr. is going to have to play a lot of minutes. But I, I really don't, you know, I mean, obviously things change in a long season. But, you know, the projected starters are OG, Scotty Barnes, Pascal, Jakob Pertl, and Dennis Schroeder. So, I mean, how much uh, time does Gary Trent Jr. get on the court? I mean, I, I think he's a guy, too, that really needs to get rhythm from game to game. And you were saying, you know, sometimes he's there, sometimes he disappears. I think it's a rhythm thing with him. So, you know, I think he's going to need uh, his minutes, you know. And I, I'm not sure, you know, does he get 20 minutes a game? Does he get 22 minutes a game? I mean, Gary we Trent know Pascal. Jr.? I mean, yeah. Oh, he's I know, We know he's... Pascal can pay. Pascal and Scotty are going to be playing 30-plus a night, right? So 35. Yeah. Like, Pascal's a work a workhorse. Yeah. To me, Gary Trent Jr. is going to be the ultimate swing man for the Raptors. He's going to be in the starting lineups on some nights. He's going to be the sixth man off the bench some nights. But he's going to play a significant part and significant time for them. He'll get over 20 minutes easily a game. Because you need... See, I don't see him as... I don't see him as a starter, Brian. I, I just don't see who he can take out, take out of the lineup from night to night. You know? I. If you're going to start Barnes at the point... I could see Gary at the two. Well, I don't think you bring. I don't think you give Schroeder twenty million dollars to not start him at the point. You can bring I just him don't up. Think you, I think against. You know what? I I wouldn't be surprised if against some teams and against and in some variations of the lineup, you see Schroeder coming off as a sixth man. It's a role he's been used to throughout his career, by the way. So oh no! I know he's he's been a six man. He's been a starter. I know. Yeah. So I, would, I wouldn't be surprised. And I don't think the money is a factor there. Um, but I would not be. I'm telling you. I think that you're going to see some lineups where Scotty and Gary are the starting backcourt, which I'm going to find very interesting to see. You know, that could be a very interesting yeah. development. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be. It's, it'll obviously a big team on the floor. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe they match up some nights. That will be a big team. Yeah. Um, anybody else you're looking at to to, to make an impact? Yeah. Or anyone you think has to make a step up this year? Well, I think that the biggest comeback, step up, return to form has to come from Precious Achua. Precious Achua got hurt early last year and never found his game for the rest of the season. He looked physically diminished to me throughout the season he looked less than energetic he looked just like a, a shade of himself and uh you know hyper athletic guy who plays tremendous defense and we never saw that from him throughout the entirety of the season so i'm hoping that he has a big bounce back and becomes the player that we saw what two seasons ago who could cover anybody on the court knock down a three take the ball to the hoop um just an impactful player in the minutes he played. That's the precious achievement that the Raptors need. That's why I hope to see. And, of course, Chris Boucher, who was so up and down last year. His inconsistency really hurt the team in a year when they could have used uh, some sort of steadying influence from a veteran player. And Chris Boucher is a veteran player now. So those two guys bounce back. I mean, 
That'll make a huge difference in the Raptors' fortune. Yeah. Uh, have we seen the last of Thaddeus Young? I mean... Oh, as a player? As a player. His role, towards the end of the year, his minutes just got slashed. Yeah. You know, not even reduced. Just slashed. I mean, the thing I like about him is he's actually, I mean, to me, he's actually, you know, him, I mean, Pascal can play in the post, obviously. Jakob Pertl can play in the post, but... You know, Thaddeus Young is actually a post option, and I don't see a lot of post options, true post options on the Raptors at the moment. But, I mean, they, they slashed his minutes when they were trying to make a run for the playoffs for a reason. So, I mean, you know, he was not injured. And all of a sudden, you know, there were many uh, did-not-play coaches' decisions beside his name. So I'm just wondering, that the Raptors, if this team is fairly healthy have a lot of players to try and fit in there. So I'm just curious. What do you think? Um, I think Thaddeus Young is definitely a culture setter for this team. I'm not sure he's going to be an on-court performer in that sense, but I think that he's back with the organization for one big reason. He's a voice of experience that this team needs. He's a calm-the-waters kind of guy, and he's a unifier that they for some reason, did not get that kind of unification from last season. I don't think he would be back with this team if they didn't have some necessity and some facility for him other than his on-court performance. So will we see him as a factor on the court? I don't think so. But I think his importance to the team is, is borne by the fact that he's still on the team. They don't waste a roster spot for nothing, right? And yeah, no, I, I hear you there, but I'm just, I'm just looking at the team as it's, you know, as it is, uh, as it's coming together, and I'm just wondering where, what this team can be, you know. Well, like if they, I, I'll tell you, Keith, if, if you wait about, I don't know, 30, 40 days, we'll have a pretty good <laughs> idea about just what this Raptors team will be in 23-24. All right, that's our brief look we, we you know kind of a short look but hey man it's pre, it's not even preseason yet. it's training camp still but uh we're going to be going deep on both the raptors the leafs the habs all season long here on the puck and hoop podcast episode 34 is in the books episode 35 will be coming up very soon don't you dare listen If you're listening to this announcement, you've made it to the end of another TIYP Narrowcast. The opinions, views, and statements you've heard on this edition of Puck and Hoop are solely those of the host, guests, and their sources. The purpose of the Puck and Hoop Narrowcast is to entertain and inform our listeners, followers, and subscribers, and to help them form their own opinions. Thanks for listening.